0: step by step
1: Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and Gods Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now.
2: Hi, I'm Spencer, the alcoholic joke teller, and we have another knee slapper from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes and Cartoons from AA Grapevine. A drunk named Joe put his shoe on after a long night uh, and a terrible hangover. His wife noticed that his left shoe was on his right foot. Joe, your shoes are on the wrong feet, she told him. He looked up with a puzzled expression and said, Oh no, honey, these are my feet.
1: I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rebecca. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noises that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. Going to be doing the fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There's a solution. From the big book, page 17, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Brian to read the Appendix to Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it is kind of important to know what one is.
3: Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. Because they develop slowly over a period of time, quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change that could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our, most, our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one, needs, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. This is Alcoholic Anonymous, page 567.
1: Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or meeting mode, or just turn them off. Tonight we have Tom with session two, and it's it's going to be a good one. It's going to be good.
4: How's everybody tonight? Good, I'm glad to see you came out and braved that terrible weather. I you know it's uh hasn't been sunny, man. Hasn't been very sunny, has it, you know? And the jokes ain't getting much better either, are they? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'll tell you one of my old favorites, okay? Especially it's a it's a good one for tonight. So this drunk, you know, he was uh, drunk out of his mind and walking along a cliff, you know, and stumbling all over the place. And he he took a fall and stumbled over the side of the cliff. And there was nothing. I mean, it was a sheer cliff. It went a couple hundred feet. And he, he was just grappling. All of a sudden, there was a... A branch sticking out there, just one branch, and he grabbed hold of that branch. And he couldn't see any way to get down, and he couldn't see any way to get back up again. And he looked up in the sky and he said, If there's somebody up there, will you help me? And a voice came down from above, and I it said, I'll help you and the drunk said you will and the voice said yeah let go of the branch and the drunk looked back up in the sky and said is there somebody else up there <laughs> that's my story on faith you know you know one of my favorite things is uh, the ABC's I, I love the ABC's that I'm an alcoholic And could not manage my own life. And that probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. And that God could and would if he were sought. Now one of my favorite things about that is it doesn't say God could and would if he were found. Because this life of mine in Alcoholics Anonymous is not about finding God. It's about seeking God it's about seeking his will for me on a daily basis after those ABC's in the big book there's two words written in that big book that I believe are two of the most important words in that book and those two words are being convinced Being convinced we're at step three. What are we convinced of? We're convinced of the first two proposals. That our life is unmanageable. Which means our thinking doesn't work. Means our way has not worked. Now those of you who were here last week heard me talk about my story and how I tried to make my way work for years and it never worked how I wanted to believe that all I had to do was just not drink that I managed my life if I just didn't drink I come in here 50 years ago and I look up there and, and I say yeah well you know I'm here because I have a problem with drinking And so if I don't drink, I don't have any problem, right? I mean, you know, it means I got drunk and I got thrown in jail. So because I got drunk, my life's unmanageable if I get drunk. I mean, my life should be manageable if I'm sober. And I shouldn't have to do anything but just quit drinking. Because that's what made my life unmanageable. And I always talk about, well, if that was the fact, then why did I continue to drink again? Because I didn't pick up a drink drunk. I picked up a drink sober. Because like I said last week, you know, and I I will repeat a lot of things because... I need things repeated to me. This program is a program, a constant repetition, reparation, yeah, that's a good, that's that's what it is, reparation. We'll get into that later, okay? But repetitive, constantly, over and over, the message needs to be given to me repetitively, over and over again, because I got this built-in forgetter. Because what the, what the problem really is, is the problem is not an addiction. It's not a substance. The problem is an obsession of the mind. And the obsession of my mind tells me that I am the power. I'm the power in this life. That I can run my life That all You know, I used to say that all the time. All they need to do is just leave me alone. Everybody just leave me alone. My old man would leave me alone. Stop telling me what to do all the time. You know, I got tired of my old man telling me what to do all the time. That's why I joined the army. Then I had a whole bunch of son of a bitches telling me what to do. (laughs) I'm always jumping from the frying pan into the fire with my... Great ideas. I used to have a, a, a grand sponsee. It's gone now. His name was Jerry Henderson. And he used to say, all my great ideas, you know. I I had these great, every time I drank again, I had all these great ideas. Because I was the power in my life. And so, I had to find out the hard way that, Me going to me as the authority for my life didn't work. It didn't work. And because I took suggestions, as I shared last week from a man, on prayer after 10 years of being in the revolving door, we have a revolving door. A lot of us get stuck in that revolving door. God bless the people that had enough sense the first time or maybe weren't quite as defiant as me because defiance is my outstanding characteristic. I was always fighting everything and everybody. I was always, that's why it talks about in the big book, we cease fighting anything or anybody. Because, you see, that was what my problem was. I was always fighting everything and everybody. Because you know what? I used to, I used to argue for years. I argued with all the old-timers and Alcoholics Anonymous. And in their loving, kind way, they just pat me on the back and they'd say, that's okay, Tom, you got a right to be wrong. And that used to drive me absolutely bonkers. What did they mean by that? I couldn't figure that out. See, just like I can't figure out what it's like to be a social drinker, because I never was. I never had a drink that I didn't get drunk. I wouldn't drink for any other reason than to get drunk. I didn't do anything for any reason other than to get what I could get out of it, for the effect of it. That's why I did anything. What I did, you know, is that I went around my whole life with this big hole, this big hole in my soul. And I had a lifetime of stuffing that hole all the time. This is what I mean when I say it's an obsession. It, you know, you may become addicted. I, I'm addicted to Coffee. I was once addicted to smoking 20 years ago. I quit that. I only had to stay sober 20 years to quit it. I always tell people all the time, my new newcomers, you know, I'd say, "Hey, don't try and do this all at once, okay?" I took it took me 20 years to quit smoking after I was sober. I finally did, and thank God I did. But you know, don't put all that stress on you when you're new. Don't try and 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 fix everything today. I was always doing that. <clears throat> I was always thinking, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to get it all fixed, and then I'm going to go live my life. You know. And then I got this sponsor finally, you know, he informed me, that you know, that was the guy who really helped me took me through the steps finally. I'd never been through the steps after 10 years of being around AA. And he said, you know, I was in a big hurry working, trying to work these steps, man. And he said, well, man, he says, in here we don't, uh, we don't have any report cards, okay? And you ain't graduating. This isn't a graduation, you know. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. And that way of life had to start with me understanding that I was not the power that was needed. I was not the power over my alcoholism. I wanted more than anything else to be the power over my alcoholism. I wanted more than anything else to be the power in in the authority for my life. I wanted to have the power to make decisions. I was very defiant. I had made up my mind when I was a little kid. Everybody wants you to look like them and talk like them and dress like them and do what they do and cleave to them. That what everybody wants to do is control me. And I'm not going to allow anybody to control me. I'm going to control my life. I'm going to do what I think is best for me. Nobody knows what I need. Only I know what I need. I had to learn that I didn't know what I needed, that all I'm capable of knowing is what I want. And I want what I want when I want it. I'm what Freud called King Baby. When I was a little boy and I didn't get my way, I threw myself down on the floor and I had a great big temper tantrum. And when you grow into a man and your temper tantrum turns into bopping somebody over the head with a heavy ashtray in a bar, your time out gets to be county jail. And you can be a grown man just like i was and still be a big effing baby whining and crying and bitching and moaning all the time about how you've been treated bad people haven't done you right Wham, wham, wah 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 i recently told a guy i says you know what your problem is what's that i said you got a ring around your ass he looked at me because, see, this is old talk, okay? It's old school. Young people don't talk the way we did all those years ago when I got in here, you know? What's that mean? I said, a ring around your ass from sitting on the pity pot. That's how you got that ring around your ass, okay? <laughs> you need to get off the pity pot. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. This is what, what, did, what made me an angry young man. What made me so angry? What made me so defiant? What made me go after people all the time? Self pity, that's what. Poor me. Poor me, poor me, poor me, pour me another drink. Because you see, self pity begets anger. And anger begets self pity. It's like a dog chasing his tail around and around and around and around. Because I ain't getting what I want. I come in in here and you tell me about this loving God. And I'm doing the right thing. You know, now, now I'm doing the right thing. You're supposed to kiss my ass, okay? That's what you're supposed to do. That's what everybody's supposed to do now is kiss my ass because I'm doing the right thing. What's your problem? How come you're not doing that? And you tell me about this loving God. Well, I don't see that. I don't see nothing but some monster, you know, that punishes a bunch of good people and rewards a bunch of assholes. You tell me that he's a loving God? See, because I've already judged God. That's what I've done. I've judged God. He don't behave right. You don't do things my way. What kind of God is that? Because I know the right way things are supposed to be. I remember, you know, 50 years ago, they gave me a big book. I took it home, and as far as I got was page 62. Where it says in the, in the, in the first paragraph on page 62, selfishness and self-centeredness, we believe, is the root of all our troubles. You know what I did? I threw the book across the room. (laughs) That's just a bunch of crap. I never picked that book up again for years. The only reason, like I shared last week, that I kept running to Alcoholics Anonymous was because it got me out of trouble the first time I came. So I knew that my hustle worked. And so I kept trying to run that game. The only problem is, alcoholism, if it doesn't kill you, it has a little trick for you. That trick's called progression. And that period of time that I could spend out there on the street, that started getting shorter and shorter. Those bottoms started coming faster and faster as the years went by. And the periods of time that I could sit around in these rooms and be full of crap because you know you're full of crap you know you are you're sober and you're not doing what the other people are doing you think you think you know what you need to do you know how to run your life you don't need anybody to tell you how to do anything i just need to go to meetings well, i got i got news for you these meetings they might be essential but they're not going to get you sober Hanging around, taking up a seat in AA. That's not going to get you sober. That's not the program Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a meeting, that's fellowship. It's essential. We need each other. We need fellowship. That's one one part of that triangle, but it ain't recovery. Recovery's in the steps. And I didn't want anything to do with anybody telling me that I was wrong. Because deep down inside of me, you see, I didn't understand. Because I hadn't worked any steps. I didn't understand that there was something wrong with me. That what was wrong with me was I couldn't be wrong. I had to be right. You had to be wrong. Because what I am is an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I didn't know that. I didn't know that because I'd never done any uncovering of what my problem is. Because I hadn't been through any process. I hadn't been convinced of a good friend. Some of the guys are here from my home group, and he's a friend of mine for years I known him since he was skinny <laughs> a guy named Pacer Bob and I heard him once say, The first two steps are a feeling, okay The first two steps are a feeling. you feel them. If you come to me and you say, Do uh, uh, you think I've worked the second step? If you ask me that, you haven't' Because, you see, you'd be convinced. And if you're not convinced, you might as well, you know, put the book on the shelf and go try some more running your own life for a while and see how that works out for you. Maybe that'll convince you. That's what it took for me. That's what the progression of alcoholism did for me. It took me to bottoms that just kept getting worse, just kept getting deeper, just kept coming faster until I couldn't even put days together anymore. You know, my great idea for controlling the greatest, these terrible blackouts that I was, and my blackouts just kept getting worse. My blackouts started happening for whole days, two days. I'd come out of a blackout standing in a bar in another town talking to you and come into consciousness and look at you and go who are you where am i i come out of blackouts i'd be riding in the middle of the night way out in everglades somewhere 100 miles from here trying to find signs to guide me to where i was going coming out of blackouts and jail cells wondering what i did to get put there that's real thrilling And I, uh, I finally realized that maybe if I had enough cocaine to shoot, I'd just keep shooting cocaine, and I could drink all I wanted and not go into blackout. That was my great idea. You see how good my thinking works? My, see how good my authority works for me? And that sickness, you know, it just that mind sickness of listening to this crazy man that's up here in my head just gets worse and louder as the time goes by. And I had to give it up. Like I shared last week, I got divine intervention. Sober sitting in a jail cell in the Boynton City Jail on attempted burglary charges, waiting to be put up in gun club, sober and thinking to myself, why can't I run my life? And that little voice that wasn't mine deep inside my head said because you're crazy man you're crazy that's why I can't run your life the reason you're crazy because you think you can that's what makes me crazy is I think I can why do I need to be restored to sanity if I'm sane if I'm sane and if I have soundness of mind just because I don't drink why did I always drink again I guess I didn't have soundness of mind. I guess it didn't have anything to do with the alcohol. You see, the alcohol didn't make me an alcoholic. The drugs didn't make me a drug addict. It's not an addiction. It's an obsession with the mind. See, I'm the guy there in the big book. When, you know, I mean, when I finally did start to to read it and got past you know selfishness and self-centeredness, the the answer of me is written there. I'm that guy who thinks he can wrest satisfaction and happiness from this life if I just manage well. That's who I am. That's my story written in the big book. So what this obsession is, is an obsession to control. To control. To find a way to have things make me feel okay. Because I don't feel okay. I never felt okay. I never felt okay in my whole life until at 13, I found that bottle of wine in the woods and sucked it down. And then I felt okay. The problem was it kicked my ass. And as years went by, it kicked it worse. And so now, I'm asked, you know, to pray. And I don't want to pray. I don't believe this God, this God you were telling me about, I, you know, he, he's, he's done nothing but punish me. You know, as far as I was concerned. How many times did I use that? Sitting in the rooms, Alcoholics Anonymous, and tell myself, well, I'm not getting the job. I'm not getting the girl. I'm not getting the place to live. I'm not getting money. I'm not getting what I want. Why am I doing this if I'm not going to get what I want? How many times I used that? Because, you see, I believed that what I wanted was what I needed. What I wanted, when I go to me as the authority for my life, is I'm talking to me, and I'm telling me, you need this, and you need this, and you need that, and you need to get all this stuff, and you need to fix everything. That's all I was doing for years. The only reason I came was to get my stuff back. To get a license back, to get a girlfriend back, to get a place to live back, to get a job back, get a car back. Just get back what I need. Thank you, AA. I got what I need now. See ya. Got the law off my back, so I don't got to worry about them anymore. And I had to be taught, you know, I had to be taught that I don't have the capacity as a human being. I don't have the capacity to know what I need. I only have the capacity to know what I want. And getting what I want never changed anything. It only gave me an obsession for more. Because if a little, just like liquor, if a little was enough, I just need more. Because I don't know what it's like to have enough. I, have, I don't have that kind of knowledge in me. My mind, my authority for my life tells me this is good, so let's have some more. And all my life I go around with this big hole in my soul, stuffing it stuffing it full of drugs and alcohol and money and people, places and things. And I have an obsession with all of this that if I can just get enough, that I can fill this hole that's in my soul. And I had to learn that that hole, that hole cannot be filled. I don't care how much I put in it. It won't fill. But that hole can be healed. And only God can make that possible. And I didn't want to believe that. I didn't want a God as the authority for my life. But by taking a suggestion that I didn't believe in, And continuing to take that suggestion of getting on my knees every morning and asking God for the strength to stay clean and sober and thanking him at night and coming to the awareness that I no longer had the obsession to drink or to use and that I couldn't even remember when it was removed from me, but it had been gone. When I realized it, it had been gone for a long time and I didn't even know it. And I became willing. Because that's what, that's what we're really talking about. This is the how. It's an old time thing. How does it work? It works how? Through honesty, open mindedness, and willingness. And I had to have the key. The key to unlock the door. The key of willingness. To say, okay. Okay. I'm willing to make this decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as we understood him. You know, it doesn't say understand him. It doesn't say found him. It says seek him. Understood. What's understood? What's understood is the second step. What's understood is running my life, my way, didn't work. That's what's understood. That I'm not, I'm not the power for my, for my decision-making in my life because that has not worked, okay? Like the man said to me when he said, what you need to do is what I've been trying to tell you for years to do. And I said, what's that? And he said, get on your knees and ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober. And I say, well, I don't see how that's going to do anything. And he says, how's your way been working, wise guy? How's your way been working? If your way's been working for you, then what are you doing here? What are you doing here tonight coming out in the rain, you know, to listen to me? You must be looking for something, searching for something, wanting something better than what you got or what you've been getting. If nothing changes, nothing changes. That's what I learned by doing things my way. Nothing changed. I just got sicker. That's what changed. I got sicker. And a whole lot happened to me from the age of 21 to 31 when I finally surrendered. Became willing to do what I was told. Not what I wanted. Because what I wanted, (laughs) you know. It didn't work to want what you want when you want it and think, you know, that that's what you need. See, I don't know what I need. I only know what I want. But when I learned to give this to God, I say God because it's just easy to say God. You know, you can say whatever you want to say, but a power greater than me when I became willing to do that, to turn my life and my will over to the care of this power, as I understood from the first two steps, my whole life started to change. Step three is the foundation of this way of life. I worked construction my whole life. If the foundation ain't right, it'll all fall down. We get in the third step and it talks about the third step being the keystone. I worked in masonry my whole life. I know the keystone. You look at the arch, the keystone is built like that because the rest of the whole arch leans in on that keystone. You pull that keystone out, the whole arch falls down. The third step is the keystone through which we pass the freedom, the book talks about. Freedom from what? Freedom from the bondage of self. You see, self can't help self to get out of self. It just doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. If you think that it can work that way, keep trying to work it that way. If you're an alcoholic like me, you'll realize that don't work. I'm ready to try something different now 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 we can go on now we can move on with the steps we can't move on until we get a foundation I mean you know I don't need the house to fall down I need to know what I've got to work with I need to know what needs to be taken away and what needs to be kept In my life. One of the reasons that... That I... uh, Picked a man. Because, you see, I spent the 10 years... I I wasn't... I didn't... I didn't work any steps. I had never worked any steps. All I did was... I don't even say that I was in and out. I quit saying I was in and out for 10 years... Years ago. And And for all this time now... For since that time... I have said I've been, I was around Alcoholics Anonymous because I was never in it. I was just around. And there's a big difference between being around AA and being in AA because the people that are in AA are doing the deal. I wasn't doing the deal. I was taking up a seat. I was hanging out. I was getting court cards signed. I was I was just submitting to powers that were greater than me to keep from being punished. And there's a big difference between surrender and submission. There's a big difference between compliance and true surrender. Because that's really what my life is about it's about real true surrender on a daily basis to a power greater than me to be the authority of my life and to practice these principles the steps themselves and apply them to my life on a daily basis step in application not in education I could have read lots of books on construction, but if I hadn't have gone out there and worked in the field and applied myself, I never would have learned my trade just by reading a book. I got to do it. That's what I mean when I say application. It has to be done. And so I need a master, right? Because I'm not a master. You know how a master becomes a master? A master becomes a master by practicing every day. And a master remains a master by practicing every day. And when a master stops practicing every day, he starts to lose his trade. He starts to lose it. And he's the last one to know it. His family sees it first. Then the public sees it. And he's always the last one to know. So for me, you know, this way of life is about practice. It's practice, 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 practice. Practice my program. And I practice it on a daily basis. And I learned that by putting the steps into application. And by having a man who, it's funny, I I went to... uh, This meeting after I got out of the VA hospital, it was a Saturday evening post meeting in Boynton Beach. It used to be a big speaker meeting, and there were probably a couple hundred people in there. And as we're filing out the door, we're, you know, we're all packed, you know, trying to get out the door. And a man's next to me, and I look at the man, and he looks at me, and I say, "I know you," and he said, "Yeah, I know you too." He said, you were chairing a meeting out in Coral Springs, asked me to come and speak, and you didn't show up. I said, yeah, I got drunk. Well, how are you doing now? I said, well, you know, I think I finally, I finally got this thing. I had surrendered. Before, I was just complying. I was complying with everybody. Complying at every, with everybody that put pressure on me, I was in compliance. I was great at compliance, but lousy at surrender. Dr. Harry Thibault, who's a, a great psychi- psychiatric friend of AA back in the 40s, wrote papers called the Tebow Papers, which I suggest, always suggest. Compliance versus surrender in alcoholism is a great, great essay written by Harry Tebow explains an awful lot about our character you know I never met another alcoholic who didn't think just like me all the alcoholics I've ever met over the years have the same kind of thinking I do this thinking that somehow they can be the authority for their life that somehow they know what they need and all they got to do is get it and everything's gonna be okay. And I and I I went to have coffee with him. And he told me that he spent nine months at BARK. And a long time ago, BARK used to have a STEP program. I wish they had continued doing it, but Bark changed. And in this STEP program, you went every week for an hour. For nine months learning the steps, and I thought right then i said any anybody that's crazy enough to go somewhere for nine months learning these steps that's the guy I need to teach me i need I need somebody who's really serious at this because I never was serious at it and and that man is the man that he really he he set me on the right path, and he had me doing things. That other people, other my other friends in Alcoholics Anonymous used to say, "He's crazy. That's not what the Big Book says. That's not what that's not what this says. That's not what that says." I'd fire him. Well, I haven't seen them in years. But I'm still here after 40 years. And he's still here with 50 some years. Went back to New York City. Tommy Noonan. But. He said, This is the way we're going to work the four step. Now, you can work the four step any way you want it. I think what's really important is that you work a four step, you know, that you make an attempt at it. I mean, nobody said you only have to do one. You know, you can keep working at the four step as long as you want until you think you got it right. But I'll tell you this I've only worked one four step because that's all I ever needed. Because that four-step, when I worked it, was very thorough and done under the direction of of my sponsor, who learned it at BARC. And I know a lot of other old-timers in in this community, between Fort Lauderdale and, and Palm Beach County, who went to BARC, guys with 45, 50 years. We only worked one four step too, because that was about then. It was about the past. And we have a tenth step. We'll talk about that down the road. So this is the way that we did it. You know, first of all, he said to me, like I often said to him, because I'm a wise guy and I'm I'm always uh defiant. And he starts to tell me, and I, so I'm, I'm always going to tell the sponsor, right? I'm always going to argue with somebody because I always want to be a big shot. I had to learn, you know, I learned a lot of things in the years that I was around, believe me. There were a lot of men who really wanted to help me, who, who, who gave me things that were retained in my mind that didn't flower until later when I when I really took sobriety seriously. One of those men was a guy named Tex. He used to run or hang around the 101 Club. He's been dead for, he died in 1980. I used to say, I wish Tex would have seen me get sober. I, I Down the road, a guy that, Tex used to sponsor me and this guy in the 70s. Don Ingram, maybe you might know him, you know. He's been in this community for about 50 years. He stayed sober. I didn't. I, he was in AA. I was just around it. I told him once, once when he was my sponsor for several years, he said, I said, you know, I wish Tex would have seen me get this. I, I, I even went to his funeral, drunk out of my mind, and I stared right in his face laying in the casket. And, text, uh, and Don said, well, Tommy, that just goes to show you how good your alcoholic recall is. And I said, how's that? And he said, it was a closed casket. <laughs> See, that's what guilt will do to you. you know. And drunkenness. And drugs give you ideas and dreams that you think really happened. That didn't text back in the in the 70s told me he said i'm going to take you to delray beach you want to go to delray beach i'd never been in delray beach before he said i'd take you to the central house in delray beach he said they they want me to come up there on a saturday and speak in those days it was a little storefront across from anthony's where anthony's is now used to be howard johnson's a long time ago that was the first central house and there were not many people in Central House in those days, maybe about 30, 40 people, and only a few meetings a week. big speaker meeting on Saturday afternoon, and he spoke, and he said, now we're going to go do some 12-step work. And I said, okay. And uh, we went over. The the, the second Central House was the old American Legion. It was built in 21 after the First World War. It looks like the Alamo. That's where I got sober at. There was a little house on the north side of it, and that little house in those days was South County Mental Health. That little house with three beds in it with restraints. And that's how they used to take alkies through detox. Strap them down. They didn't give them any drugs or anything. Just strap them down, stick a thing of rubber in their mouth so they wouldn't bite their tongue off. And Tex sits down and proceeds to break out the big book and start reading it to this man who's in full DTs, crazy out of his mind. And all I can think is, this Tex is an idiot. This guy doesn't even know we're here. What good is this? This is a waste of time. And I can hardly wait, you know, till I get Tex outside so I can tell him about himself. We get outside, and I say, what good did that do? I said, that guy didn't even know we were here. And Tex looked at me, and he said, we wasn't here for that guy. I said, who are we here for? He said, we're here for you. You're who we're here for. They tried to help me, but I didn't want that help. And Tommy, he said, I told him, I said, the way you want me to do this is not the way it is in the big book. And he said, who's the sponsor? And I said, you are. He said, then you'll do it my way or you'll get another sponsor. And I said, okay. So we did it his way. And that's the way that I've been doing it with my guys for years, the same way. And it's basically... Like Because like he said, and, and I've always believed this, how am I supposed to take a guy? He says to me, how am I supposed to take a guy like you who is almost completely constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself and you're going to sit down and honestly write down a list of resentments and fears and the people that are associated with that? in your columns. How am I supposed to ask a guy like you to do that? That's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it in a way where you're not going to get to lie to yourself. Because, you see, this ain't about you analyzing anything. Because we love to analyze. You know, let me figure it out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what my problem is. You know, I haven't found any chapter in the big book that says this is how you figure it out. I haven't found any 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 anything at all in the big book that says this is how you figure this out. You know, we got there's a solution and into action and we agnostics and working with others and two employers. There's no no chapter says this is the figure it out chapter. It's how we figure it out. So we're not gonna figure that out. What we're going to do is you're going to get a a notepad, okay? And you're going to take that notepad. And this is a three-part four step. Now, I'm sharing with you what works for me. If you if you got what works for you, that's fine. That's fine because you know, I'm telling I'm here to talk about how my experience strengthened hope. And how I have been working this program for the past 40 years. You know, I believe with all my heart that I wake up every day with untreated alcoholism. And I need to treat my alcoholism. I don't have alcohol-wasm. I have alcoholism, And it's all about I, self, and me. You see, I don't know who you think about all day. But I know who I think about. I think about me. I wake up thinking about me and I go to bed at night thinking about me and the only time I think about you is how it relates to me. That's why I didn't like it when I first saw selfishness and self-centeredness. Because, you know, I don't want the problem to be about me. I want the problem to be about you. You're the problem the guy who's going slow tonight when I'm trying to get here, he's the problem, okay? Not me for not leaving early enough. I'm always looking to blame somebody or something or sitting around here judging everybody, you know, just like you're sitting out there judging me right now. listen we're all crazy not just alcoholics I love Eckhart Tolle he said 98% of the human race is insane we're all insane I mean all you got to do is just look at your track record destroying the planet you live on you've murdered a million of your own people You know, and then you wonder, you know, how come people are insane with a bunch of monkeys on a rock with guns? We're in trouble, you know? Because, I mean, you know, who are we thinking about? We were all taught to read Sermon on the Mount for a reason. For a reason. It's a pretty simple reason. A man said to to Jesus, you know, he said, hey, uh, rabbi, What's the most important prayer? And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. Hey Rabbi, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, Love your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important commandment. So he says, We're gonna we're gonna get this notebook. And you're going to do this in three parts. And the first part is you're going to write a life story. And you're going to skip a line in that notebook. You're going to write on every other line because you're going to need that line in between for the second part. And after you do the first part, then I'll give you the second part. You won't get the second part until you do the first part. And he said, and what you're going to, what you're going to write there's only two things. Two things. There's only two things that you're going to write about. You're going to start in a chronological uh, time period from the very first m- memories that you have as a child and then in your first 10 years, second 10 years, third 10 years, and only going to ask yourself, these two things that you're going to write down on paper, and that is everything that ever happened to you that you felt good about and everything that ever happened to you that you felt bad about. The first thing I want you to do to to start to relate to this is go as far back in your memory as you can and write down the first thing that you can remember that you felt good about in your life. First thing I could remember that I felt good about in my life was about four years old with me and my brother, who I'm the oldest, who was a year younger than me, playing in the mud in the backyard. It was just a big backyard of mud. But we were having a hell of a time. And And then he said, I want you to think back and think of the memory that you felt bad about, the first memory that you can think of that you felt bad about. The first memory that I could think of that I felt bad about was them bringing my little sister home from the hospital. I already had my brother. I didn't need her. And then I want you to write everything in your life that you can remember that you felt good about and that you felt bad about, however it comes to your mind. Uh, don't, don't be sitting there all night long writing. Spend about 30 minutes a night at it, but do it. You know what he said to me constantly through the four step? You got to persevere, persevere. Every time he'd run into him at a meeting. How are you doing with the four step? Well, I'm getting there. Persevere, Tom, persevere. Man, he drove that into me like crazy. I didn't even realize how important that was going to be in my life. In this life. That that principle of perseverance. Of constantly working at this. Because you see. I never persevered at anything. I was a runner. I ran away from any, anything. I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. That was uncomfortable. I didn't want to have to look at myself. That way. And so. That's what I had to do. And then he had me take the list of of assets and defects and start to list those things in that space in between, what those things were, identifying those things. That was the second part. part. The third part was counting it all up, counting it all up to see what were my major defects of character, and what my major assets were. So I knew what to work with, what I had to work with. You know, I have three main defects of character that I learned from my fourth step. Self-condemnation, I condemned myself to myself my whole life that I wasn't good enough. False pride, create this character so that I could be somebody that i could be proud of because of all my self-condemnation and resentment i copped a resentment over it all over everything you know i uh i gotta close but before i close i want to just say this This is uh, from a book that was written, I suggest this book to everybody, Man Changed My Life, A Mind Power Disease by Bob Anderson. This is where he talks about it. Every 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 solitary one of us has a track record that we could use to excuse our behavior. But this program is based on a different concept. Recovery is about the 12 steps. A program of recovery for every alcoholic with alcoholism, regardless of what happened to them in the past. Certainly, you have to identify your defects. That's what the step is about. But if the step were about uncovering memories that you could dwell on, this wouldn't be a program of recovery. Each one of us would wind up trying to recall all the harms and hurts that have happened to us. How could we live today with our minds so occupied by the ratty things that happened yesterday? We'd never make it. I know this is a hard message to hear. I know I repeat myself, but this message has to be heard. Think about it. Does it make any sense that there is something so awful in your life that you can never get rid of it? What kind of God would condemn you to live with this terrible thing for the rest of your life? Maybe there is something that you can't get rid of on your own. But I believe in a higher power that can do for me what I can't do for myself. That's why these steps are in the order they're in. Certainly there are tragedies. All of us have a list of troubles. I have mine. I can't live in those tragedies and troubles. This is today's life. This is the life in which God says, under his grace, I can be happy, joyous, and free. I don't have to be bitter about something that happened to me in the past, whether it was yesterday or many years ago. The only recovery is possible if you learn to be dependent upon God, totally dependent. In your every thought, in your every deed, you have to be dependent on God all day long in all your affairs. At step four, we're not there yet. We're still trying to learn to get there. We're still trying to find those principles that will turn this program of recovery into a way of life. This program was put here on earth through Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson on June the 10th, 1935. Since they printed the big book in April of 1939, the program of recovery has not changed. The program of recovery is still in the 12 steps. You have to look at this now. This is your life. What do you want? Do you want what we have? Are you willing to go to any length to get it? I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. But together, we can do it. Thank you. Let me share tonight. Let's
1: Let's thank the speaker one more time.
2: And this is Ryan, our secretary. I'm Ryan, i a recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self supporting declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs. If you'd rather give through Venmo, you can do it that way. Uh, there's also a QR code in the Zoom. Uh, you can click on that if you want. Um, as the baskets are growing around, I've asked Davi to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Davi.
3: Hi, I'm Davi. I'm an alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol rem- will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consecu- consent- Consequently, we have recovered.
2: Thanks, Bobby. 1940 style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way, 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen fell come to believe in experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Uh, does anybody need a sponsor, if you could raise your hand? No? If you're too shy, just come stand up here awkwardly after the meeting, and someone will talk to you. Um, can the recovered alcoholics raise your hand? Awesome. If your hand's not up, talk to someone whose hand is. And we have a couple of announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotlines. Stop by and visit them. BCIC committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any BCIC people here? No? If you need any information on that, just see a home group member. Um, We also have uh, the men's advance, the Florida men's advance, coming up March 15th through 17th. If you're interested, we'll have this slide back up after the meeting. You can scan the QR code and get some more information on that. And then the uh, Intergroup um, Appreciation Banquet is coming up, and they're having their next planning meeting on Wednesday, January 17th. If you want to go, or, yeah, they need help. Um, a has Got Talent has a planning meeting coming up January 14th. They're still trying to figure out what the talent is, so if you want to help with that, you can go check that out. <laughs> and then we got Tom for four more weeks after this. He's been great so far, so definitely come check Tom out for the next four weeks. And then Monday night, same building, Third floor, we have our uh, big book study upstairs. Um, We're not into action right now, so you definitely want to come check that out. And that's it for announcements. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, and little red books and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. If you're interested in any of those, you can see any home group member. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 715. We ask that you be courteous and ready to be given the sound of the bells. Also, if you vape or smoke, please be 75 feet away from the doors before you do that. Uh, Boy Scouts are here. They're trying to quit. We're trying to help. All right.
1: we have tonight's session an all past speaker podcast at, podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study and those who wish to thank tonight's speaker please line up down the center aisle let's all, let's all do the Lord's Prayer in our seats Our father...
5: Oh, when you're smiling When you're smiling The
6: whole
5: world Smiles with you, baby, baby Yes, when you're laughing i mm-hmm.
7: chase. Bye.
8: I think you know this one, don't you?